0: In grace and granite, it's really hard. It's a hard word. It's encouraging sometimes, but it's really not an easy journey because it's one hour of the pressure being on you. To, you have to lead like this. You have to be kind. You have to, be, you have to make the word of God strong. You're gonna. Have, I mean, it's pressing, and it's so beautiful because I'm praying that your families, the fruit of that, is, is showing up. We're seeing men who are repenting or being transparent. They're all being discipled, and I just pray that this is all meeting in the, in the center for our families. It makes our church stronger. So it's not an easy journey, um, but the super liberalists, they're always uh, blaming something else for why their ideology this way. Now, you know, woke, the woke people and, that, and the hyper left-wing folks, they don't even care to say, no, we don't believe that. It's nonsense. But the people who are trying to be spiritual— who are being the spiritual leaders, are justifying a lot of this um, nonsense. But then there's a less radical feminist movement he was talking about, where God understands that culture is a a reality. And we as women, they say, our teachers and preachers are acceptable. It's credible today. And you can tell because the world accepts it. And uh, we're teaching, they he said, after all, notice this statement, after all we're teaching from the same Bible. So whether your wife says it or whether the husband says it, it's for the same truth. So why wouldn't we be able to lead the church? It's a more a subtle way of, of resisting and rebelling against the scripture, when it what, what he says. And so uh, that's a kind of a less feminist movement kind of thing. And so sometimes they creep in and they start, Serving and trying to find positions that they can start teaching, and uh, we find this all the time in the biblical counseling movement where uh, we turn down more people than people who are certified for counselors because they have women pastors. They come in, they're, everything's clean, clear, good theology, everything is works out really good. But then when we get down to their local church, they have one or more women pastors, and they 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 support it. Well, it's just. You can't. We can't allow that because it, it's uh, it's a compromise, and eventually it's a slippery slope, and that usually heads back to more liberalism there as well. Now, technically, when we were saved in a Nazarene church, and um, of course I didn't know anything about it. In fact, I when after we came to faith in Christ, our counselor uh, led us to Christ. We were going to church, and he said, well, you guys have to go to church. I, mean, I said, that's part of counseling? Yeah, you have to go to church. We didn't know that, so I said, okay, what do we do? And I figured it was going to be a discount. But it was only $40 back then, you know, so I was still looking for a discount because they have six kids who eat like they hate you. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and so we are going to church, and Eric, one of my older boys, is in the back. He was like, hey, Dad, that sign says Nazarene. What's that mean? I said, I don't know. Just sit down and be quiet. These people care about us. You know, I didn't really know. I didn't know how to explain it. And, uh, and he was, and I was right when we went in there, they were waiting for us. They were loving and kind. they took care of us, they blessed us. They gave us money, they blessed our children. they, they took care of us, they counseled us. They, I mean it was a wonderful experience. I got to be honest with you. But when it came from time to listen to the Bible, it was nothing. It was barely enough to keep you breathing above the water line. It was just barely to keep you alive and it was just how much Jesus loved you. And you know we would weep over that, and we thought that was wonderful. But in that in that genre of of you know Protestant Christianity, uh, people were, were hyper holy, and that, and, and we knew. I knew I wasn't. I knew Cindy was trying, and she was working. I knew that I wasn't, and and so they believed in the entire sanctification, which is like, man, you you're done with sin. And I'm like, wow, this is really was disturbing to me. In fact, we heard a sermon once uh, Pastor Mark Goodwin, our dear friend he is, but he preached a sermon that he was in a car accident um, and he was in Debbie's car, his wife, and then or she was, and then when he used her car he got, he, he hit the same place he got it, he was trying to make a turn and crush the fender even more in that same spot, and he, the insurance company's getting ready to pay it off. I mean they're ready to fix it, and he said, I had to go to him and tell him that." Um, that That I caused more damage to that because i didn 't want to go to hell over a bumper. Can you imagine and I thought i 'm in trouble when he said that from the pulpit, I thought man i 'm not going to make it because I knew my life I was just trying I was just coming out of all the violence and just you know it was just horrible our our lives were just messed up and and so that 's the typical kind of Armenian sort of perspective that that becomes a real problem, and so they didn't understand atonement like we understand it. They didn't understand Christ paying for that or the calling us and saving us from this sin and, and our righteousness is from Christ, and they didn't teach us any of those things till later on. So I, I went ahead and went through the process with them, and um, they were kind of training me to be a Bible leader, just a, a small group leader. But eventually, we got deeper and deeper into the organization and, um, and the denomination. Eventually, I became an elder in that church. Uh, not in that particular church, but in that denomination. And I pastored a couple churches for them. And uh, But I was, I was constantly badgered in my heart about this theology all the time. And I was secretly listening to John MacArthur on the radio all the time, taking notes, getting his, getting his CDs and his DVDs. I mean... Cassette tapes, he didn't have CDs back then. And uh, and then Cindy was the first one to convert, and then she blatantly, out of total disrespect, gets a John MacArthur study Bible, and it made all my Nazarene friends nervous. Yeah. And so for the next 10 years, we just argued about theology in a kind way, most of the time. And um, the kids just got a kick out of it, but I was just... And so, you know, we were just going along, and I'm thinking, okay, well, in fact, in my Nazarene church, Carmelie was part of the congregation, right? She came to faith in our ministry. I baptized her, did the wedding. So God used us in the ministry, but in our, we're in our regular, by the time she came, we were very baptistic in our theology. And my supervisor, because we all had supervisors over these uh, areas, uh, they always make a rounds and check on your congregation, kind of like a Methodist. And he would come out and he says, Man, this place is booming. you got a lot of people coming for studies and blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah. He's like, Mark, it got one question. I said, what? He goes, you guys have about 50 John MacArthur study Bibles for sale in the Welcome Center and this thing called self-confrontation. What is that? I said, oh, it's all Bible. I wouldn't worry about it. You know, I just wouldn't worry about it. He's like, oh, okay, all right. I was just wondering about that. He didn't even know. But, uh, but it was, God was just booming, and we were just moving. And finally one day I was listening to the sermon um, from, from uh, Sproul, and he told this beautiful story about this, about this guy who was dead in the bottom of the ocean, how much love God loved him, and, and, and he said he saw him, and he saw that he was in the mud under the bottom of the ocean, and he moved his hand just slowly up like that, and the Lord saw it. And he was like just reaching towards heaven, and I'm just listening. And drive, I'm going to church. I'm driving, and he's like, he's like, yeah. He said, it was just amazing. This guy's reaching up, and, and God just dove and grabbed him, wonderful because He wanted me, pull him out of there, and blew life into him. And he, and he came, and I mean, tears started coming. I was just like, Hallelujah! That is just fantastic, you know. And he said, No, that's a lie. <laughs> I pulled my truck over. Yeah, I pulled it over, and I was on a major highway in St. Louis. I pulled it over, and I'm like, what? And I mean, I've got tears. I'm like, what? He's like, that's a lie. Dead people don't raise their hands. I'm like, whoa. Tell me more. And he started telling this whole thing, and I came under so much conviction. I had a brand-new church. I was doing a church plant, and we probably had 120, 30 people. And I said, I'm going to have to tell them the truth. And so I preached a sermon and told them that you really – you can't choose God, he chooses you, and I used that whole sermon and I mean as I worked through Ephesians one and two, talking about the call and man, people were just stunned, and I said, so you know you're the elect if you're the one following them and they so I probably saved about seventy five percent of them, and the rest of them you know moved on but we didn't have a single person in that church that was a church hopper, really. We, we had brand-new Catholics, Seventh-day Adventists, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. We had a, lot, a whole segment of prostitutes. One prostitute would bring another prostitute. Another one, we had prostitutes. We had, and they ended up being our singing team. I dressed them up right. And, um, but I'm just saying, I mean, once we got our theology right, everything started changing. Everything. And so I'm getting ready to be ordained, my last part of this, and then we'll move on. But I was getting ready to be ordained, and, and so they, it took, they give you 10 years to be ordained, to go through all the theological training. Went to, um, we went to um, Nazarene Bible College, which is in Colorado Springs. And, um, and so then I went, I had that, plus had my other school and some liberty training. Anyway, I'm getting ready for, for uh, my ordination, and you have to go before 16 elders and they, they pretty much hammer you about everything, and you better know all your holiness history, right? When John Wesley was born, and how many kids he had, and all the experiences he had. You know, you better know all those things. But anyway, um, and I'm sitting in the lobby because uh, they're going to call you in. There's several of us that are going to be from around the district, and right next to me was one of the ladies that was in our church, and she had been going through the theological track. I don't know if I actually knew that or not. Did I? Couldn't remember. But then I'm like, hey Jamie, your name was James Jenkins. What's going on? She goes, Oh, I'm getting ordained. I said, really? I mean, I'm I've got so much, I'm bleeding John MacArthur by then, right? <laughs> so I'm having to really contain myself. I'm like, really? And goes, yeah. And I said, so <clears> to <throat> have to ask you a couple questions? She goes, sure, What? I said, I'm really concerned for you, but I, I'm thinking that if you take a church and you're gonna be a pastor, um, because I already had a church. She didn't she didn't have a church, she was working through, and then they were gonna. Assign her somewhere. And I said, so if somebody asks you about all the man stuff, are you prepared? She was like, what? I was like, it says that this is an office for the man. Or he's a man of one woman. And he keeps saying man, man, man. I mean, when somebody throws these scriptures on, what are you going to say to him? And she's like, well, I don't know. you know." And she, I said, well, you, you have to think of something. Okay, you should have a stand if you're going to do this. You've got to be able to – because people – are not going to just roll over because you're a good teacher. And she was. And that she's very smart. She was a nurse, and then she came into ministry. And as far as I know, she still is in ministry. I'm not really sure. But so she was up next instead of me. They called her. So I'm sitting in the lobby. Little did I know, she went in there. What did she tell them? <laughs> that I was persecuting her <laughs> for being a woman in ministry. Okay? So I'm, I'm just, like, oblivious to everything. I'm just like, hey, this is cool. We'll see what happens. And uh, I'm sitting there waiting, you know, and just going over all my theology questions and thinking, you know, was there anything they could ask me, blah, blah, blah. I get in there, and, man, the superintendent at the end of the table was standing up, and the other elders were all around and just looking at me like, what's the movie we like? Uh, Friendly Persuasion. Oh, yeah. Remember those elders that come out? They're like, it's Just serious dressed in black don't play with me I'll kill you remember and they're looking at me I'm like oh I mean I've seen more dangerous people in this room than I have in the street so I'm like this is what's going on I'm starting to feel nervous they're like so Jack Eyestone Dr. Eyestone said so Mark why were you persecuting why were you questioning Jamie that just came in before you and I said well I was trying to help her they go well help her yeah and so as it turned out I, I just let them tell me there's, what, what they were mad about, what they were going to do, and finally, I just in my heart, for some reason, I just said, "You know, I would stick with the scripture. Be honest with you, I 'm just going to stick with the scripture. If you 're not ready for me, and you don 't think I 'm ready for you, then I wouldn't choose me, because I have the same attitude to help her that I would have to help you, and it 's the scripture. And I, I was trying to help her find a scripture to justify why she's doing this when the scripture teaches something else. And anyway, so I just stood up and I said, so I guess this is over. It's fine. And they're all acting really nervous. I had two of my friends have been kind of mentoring me on, on the board, too. they were like, no, sit down, man. We want to we talk to you. No, we don't want to lose you. So I, I just said, well, you know, you feel free to. I'm, I decided I'm going to choose a scripture. I'm choosing scripture. That's what I'm doing. Well, John Wesley's chose scripture too. I said, yeah, he probably did, but you know, I'm, I'm just trying to help her prepare. But forget that. Anyway, they ap- kind of apologized for jumping on me. They decided they would ordain me in 2004. I was ordained, but we were always nervous about their attitude towards scripture. I mean, it was become over and over on them. It was just like we were constantly coming home and talking and praying all the time. But then we—they knew we had a biblical counseling ministry. And even after I had my doctor's degree, they wouldn't let me teach at their big forum uh, because my theology was messed up. They said, you don't teach Nazarene theology, and so we can't let you teach these other men there. And and then I would go to some of my Baptist friends that I knew, and they wouldn't let me teach because why? I'm a Nazarene pastor, right? So I I was like, I'm not without a country, you know, I'm like... (laughs) I'm all over the place, but I'm like, Lord, okay. But I'm just going to stay Well, a little bit of time. This is this is the end of it. But a little bit of time. One pastor at a time started coming and making appointments, and Cindy was leading their wives to Christ, and I was leading them to Christ. And a little bit of time, then all of a sudden, the, the Christian Church pastors started coming. Um, a lot of different other, you know, Wesleyan, Armenian uh, church pastors and stuff started coming and talked to me because they, hey. They, they don't really like scripture, do they? I don't know what to do, blah blah blah. You know, and so we would take them through the gospel over and over again. And Cindy's like, "You got to get out of here. I said, you got to get out of here." And she told me a million times, I was like, I said, "I can't get out of here as long as there's still work. People are still coming and coming to Christ." And so uh, eventually, we did. The seminary called and said we need somebody to teach at the, you know, seminary for biblical counseling. So though God gave me a way out, and it was wonderful, but. Feminists, I got that firsthand, is that they are pragmatic. If it's working, why not do it? But every church that had ever installed a woman died. And let me just remind you, one more thing up the street here, this Methodist church, United Methodist, up the street. It's no longer United Methodist. Did you notice that? Okay. So uh, the guy who took over the church, because there was a woman pastor there and was just dying. And they were just having big, big troubles. And so the board and the associate pastor, the male, decided they wanted to do something and go back to the Bible. They so said, we better get back to the scripture. Or we're not, we have no hope. And he, he just talked to the church one day. She was gone. He was filling in. And she would quit. They were actually put her out. And he just said, we got to go back to the Bible or we're doomed. We're doomed without scripture. And the associate pastor he just hired was he worked for um, Alistair Bay. And he came and he was here and he came over to my office Nat, and that wanted to meet me. Because he's an ACBC counselor. He looked me up online and he came over made an appointment came in. Anyway, he just told me and he we just resonate together, just talk to you. Why? He said that church was down to 30-some people. Now these people are starting to come. He's teaching expositionally, he's teaching, he's teaching right theology. They're very Calvinistic now. So, it cost him $1.1 million to buy that building from the United Methodists. So, today it's just called, what is it called? Timberlake, Timberlake church. church. Yeah, wow, that's pretty unique, it? Timberlake Church. <laughs> I mean, you're going to reach all kinds of people with that. I just come to Timberlake Church right down the street. But seriously, I mean, it's like, wow. I mean, God is still doing something, and if, as long as we're following the scripture, and that's a good segue to where we need to be. We need to follow the scripture. So let's talk about the, the story here. Look up uh, 1 Timothy. I want somebody to read 2, 1 through 8. Just somebody to volunteer that. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8. Who would like to do that? Rebecca? Oh, I thought you had your hand up. I'm sorry. That was your coffee. Sorry. First <laughs> Timothy 2, 1 through 8. Kate's going to do it. All right. Uh, Who's going to read 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, right after her? Way over here, your name is? Sally. Sally? Yeah. Finally, a Sally in the room. Wonderful. (laughs) Wonderful. Kate, take us. First of all, then, I urge that supplications... A little bit louder.
1: First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high position, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Godly, and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place
0: the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Yeah, the men should pray. Now, that's not an accident. That's not that women don't pray. But the idea was in this leadership position, in this church setting for them being leadership, men should be men of prayer. Men are leading prayer. Let me give you my little take on this. I don't think anything's wrong with women praying. I just think that the habit you should get into, just to tell you, if you want to be ultra safe about it is that when you're sitting with people and you have a man there i would always appeal to them to pray for, in front of you I, I would not want to lead prayer with a man there i'm not that's being ultra conservative there's no sin in that i'm just telling you i've seen the most respectful people do this amazing that they they look and say wow here's a man here and i would say, if jim warner's here i would say and and all the women would say brother jim would you lead us in prayer it's just so respectful it's just so respectful, it brings God so much glory. It's saying we recognize headship, that God has headship in the church. It's all it does. so you can pray. it's not going to be a sin God's not going to uh, slay you or anything, but just an attitude of prayer. men should be men who lift their hands in holy prayer. so men should be praying and you should have a praying husband, a praying boyfriend, a praying praying leader in the church. I uh, that's the other one? Sally uh, Sal, you want to do? That? Yeah.
1: It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to, be the op- to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money, he must be the one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the children of the church of God? And, now, and not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church,
0: that he will not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Okay, is that NIV? It is NASP. Uh, NASP, good. Good. So, can you get that uh, door for me there, Christy, if you would? So, um, there's a lot of character qualities are saying, hey, here's what men should be and what they shouldn't be. And so, we're going to just kind of cover them. We're just going to do in general, just kind of walk through those briefly. But I want to remind you, I would take this another step. I do this already. So when I'm teaching a equipping class, occasionally one or two elders would come into the room and they would take the class. And I would never open prayer with an elder in the room. That's just me now. I want to acknowledge, I don't know if you acknowledge this, but God put our elders here. He chose them, he used the church, he prepared them, and he installed them. Now, you, if you understand how, how the economy of the church and God's work is that it's not whoever is the best qualified person. It's the one who God wants. So sometimes people are more eloquent. Sometimes they're better here or there. We know for a fact that Rich, Rich Brown was brought here by God, used by God, and we installed him, and he is put there by God. So I would never start a class in prayer as a teacher without asking. If he's in the room and say, Brother Rich, would you open in prayer for us? Or at the end, I would tell Jeff, I would say, Pastor Jeff, would you close us in prayer? I want to utilize the people that God has ordained for our ministry. I'm just acknowledging to the kingdom of the unseen world that I see that God's work is here, and he's installed these people, and I'm I'm submitting to them. I'm uh, acknowledging that they are important to the church. And they're humble men. They're like, well, you sure? Yeah, I want you to pray, please. And they do. And so I'm just saying that I'd even go one step beyond that, not just that you, you, it's taboo to let a woman pray with a man is the present. No, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that, you know, you always have this respect that I hope it translates in the headship at home because your husband, if you're married, is the head of your home, and it's gender specific. It's, not, it's who he is, not what he does that makes him the leader of the home. So you have to acknowledge that God put him there, good, bad, or ugly. And God is using him in the, in the headship of that. And you're acknowledging that. And that humility brings extra grace to you, which means extra favor of God to you, which means that he is going to sort this thing out. It's when you're trying to push your way into a leadership position, when you're trying to push your husband around, you've got to be very careful because God installed him in your family. Amen? You following me? So I'm not trying to make this like some Jehovah's Witness cult because they have a real system, you know, that's not like that. We just have a deeper respect for how God organizes and divinely constructs all the way down to the family, even our church, our deacons, everybody serving at God's will. It's this God that's doing all these things. So these are some of the things that we're talking about. And you should already settle in your heart that, uh, the spiritual qualification for elder is non-negotiable. It's not, cult, it's not a cultural shift kind of subject to that. Or popularity. It's not about that. And your pastor, the pastor's qualifications, we have five of them, are because of who they are, not what they do. Okay? So let's cut through some of these things real quick and talk about. Here's some. It says, first of all, above reproach. Above reproach. Now, I did... I did have another one. I wanted to, get the pre-qualifications, if I can back up. I would just say this to you. Do you have pre-qualifications on your handout? Do you know, is there a slide on that? No. Okay, let me just give them to you real quick. Here they are. The first pre-qualification for a leader is a mature believer. Mature believer. There's a problem with making people in leadership who are not mature. They, you know, they just, the maturity is defined as, um, humble, holy men of God who are committed to prayer and the Word. Whoa, that's a mouthful in it. And so, this is a humble and holy men committed to prayer and the Word. And they're not looking for a job. They're not looking. a single elder we have is looking for a position or a job. The church called them, and they had a desire to lead, just exactly like the Scripture said. I-, I mentor other people who are always saying, "I should have been a pastor. I should have been a pastor." They didn't they didn't even acknowledge me and they go out and they go down to the they go down to the um, jail and they preach down there and they go to another little church that has five and they maybe preach there and they're always looking for a position rather than serving the church we're looking for churchmen God's looking for churchmen because the body of Christ matters here that's those are the souls that we're responsible for I'm not responsible for all the souls and it'd be fine I can go down and evangelize them but that's not that's not who I'm responsible for. And so we're looking for holy men that are humble, humble. They don't speak up good about themselves all the time. They're not trying to, to manipulate people. And, uh, and that's what we have. Number one is is that it's gender-specific, limited to men, and so it's a man. It's not a woman. Another one is committed to the local church. Now, I said it a little bit more. It's a little bit redundant, but one of the pre prequalifications for church leadership is that a person's committed to the church. You know how many people I've talked to that want to be a pastor, that desire to be a pastor, that ask to be a pastor, but they don't have a single position they're serving in the church? Nowhere. They don't pull weeds. They don't cut grass. They're not tending to the sheep. Remember Samuel looked at the whole group of brothers, and the only one that was missing was David, and he was out in the field working. And the Lord said, No. Amen. There's nobody here. They all look like kings, but they're not. So you got to go back to serving. You. You want somebody as a deacon or an elder in the church? They should already be teaching Sunday school. They should already be working and serving people and visiting people. And they're not ashamed to do anything. You might even see Pastor Brian stacking chairs. You might. You know. It, we just love the church. This is our responsibility. And. I remember when COVID hit, the first thing that we said in, the, in, that, in that board was that we may have to give up our salary for the, for the saints. We may have to. We still got to shepherd this church. We may have to give up our salaries. It may be the first thing, we don't know. It's COVID. People aren't going to come. People aren't going to give. And we did. We just were presumptuous about it. But it was the, the best year we've had in 10 years in giving was during COVID. See, God provided. But we determined that it's okay. For we'll start with 25% of our salary, 50% of our salary. we just keep working until we can just eat beans. That's fine. We have to pass through the church. It's not an option. It's not an option. And a good churchman would understand that. You live and you die for the church. The church is your object of love. So you've got to be committed to the church. You're serving, giving, being sacrificial. You have to have a shepherd's heart. That means you care for the souls of, the, of people. You're not the boss hog. Let me tell you what happened. I was <clears throat> on the board at FBC, um, one of the board members for Fellowship of Biblical Counselor that's out of New York. But we have a Zoom meeting. We're doing our board meetings. And, and we had a case come up. And so when we're having to pull somebody's certification, it's kind of like church discipline, not exactly. And um, so we had to review this one guy. And a guy in Texas, and we interviewed him on the, on the uh, Zoom. And come to find out, Uh, They said, this is a problem. He has a pretty bad reputation in the community, which reflects on Fellowship of Biblical Counselors. So we have to interview him. We want you to lead the interview, which I didn't want to do. So I was like, oh, man, okay, what is it? So they told me, this guy, a young man, came back from Afghanistan, a war hero, decorated, um, went to the seminary, was trained, and got his degree, and frankly, very brilliant, sharp dude, good theology. But he had no love for the sheep. He disciplined everybody out of the church but his own family. He publicly brought them up and disciplined every single family out of the church. No love, no patience. And it says, be kind and humble and patient with them all. First Thessalonians 5. Hebrews 13 talks about your labor of love with the saints and don't make it difficult for them. They, they labor over your soul and no, nothing to like him. He was. He was like a cult leader. Man, it was hard. It was difficult for me because I see Pastor Brian leading us in church discipline. Sometimes it takes somebody two years. We're begging him. He's talking to him on the phone in tears. Ask him to repent before I go up here and take you to the church. Please repent. That's who I'm used to having. And I hear this, and this guy's like, yep, well, it had to be done. Yeah. Matter of fact, it doesn't matter. And some of the people were going to other counselors. One guy tried to commit suicide. He was so embarrassed with his family. I mean, his kids were upset. I mean, it just they were just, we had to send people down there to help counsel all these families that they put out of the church um, because there's no love. You have, to, you have to have a shepherd's heart. And the last one is you should be able to teach. You should be able to teach. You ought to be gifted to teach, plus have the desire to teach. Even when I became an elder and first starting out in the 90s, 93, I can tell you this, I loved my old job. I solved all my problems with handcuffs. Yeah, oh yeah, they have attitude. Oh, come on, you attitude. Sorry, you get in the car, you're done. Um, and a family fight, oh, you just knocked your wife out. Come over here, put them in the car. You acting like a nut, they have meltdowns. Oh, I can fix that. Handcuffs, boom, put them in there, taking the nut off. I solved everything with handcuffs. There I mean, was nothing I couldn't solve. I was, I was 100% all the time. Because they needed consequences. And I loved giving consequences. And then all of a sudden, I mean, I just started having a love for people. I didn't love people like that before. All of a sudden, I started seeing people who were broken. Crisis. And I'm like, man. And I remember the, my counselor who led us to Christ said, he was dying of cancer. He's like, Mark, you need, you need to take this baton and run with it. And you need to take my ministry and do something with it. In the early, about the mid-90s, he finally died around 95, I think, and he's like, you know, and I was just thinking to myself, it's completely opposite of what I had ever even thought about, you know. But those are the major pre-qualification. There might be some others, but a lot of times you'll see people who just want the job of being a pastor. Like it's easy. It's not easy. There's a lot of weight on you. You don't on vacation. Everybody answers calls. And everybody counsels people, and everybody does jobs while you're on vacation to help the saints. And then after you help them, they say, well, where are you? And say, oh, I'm, I'm in Gettysburg. Well, Gettysburg? Yeah, I'm on vacation, but don't worry about it. I, I saw your text or whatever. And you know, you, you're you just always, your heart is always for the saints. So you never really rest on that. Being above reproach. Let's talk about that quickly. And <clears throat> what I think about this is that it's talking about your past sins or your, your maturity of good reputation of good reputation. If you've been stained or accused of something, you have to work way past that. You have to work way past that. So if you're used to being called a womanizer, you're going to have to wait until you show that you're a man of one woman and that you're sexually pure. And, and the, com- the community doesn't have anything as bad to say other than he's a Jesus freak. And the church doesn't see any sin that indict you. And so you a person has to have, has to be above reproach. We watched a uh, Florida pastor crash and burn who had the biggest church in southern Florida in Fort Lauderdale, for, uh, Ch- Calvary Chapel. And we watched him crash and burn and we helped pick up all the pieces on that. But they, they he was sleeping with seven women in the church at the same time. And he had 27,000 people in the church. And, you know, he wasn't above reproach. He just crashed and burned. And people said, so oh, we, we kind of knew he was this way. And some women would say, well, he was always flirting with us. He's never was above reproach you have to be sexually pure speaking of that which means they shouldn't be given to that they're always going to be tempted but they're never going to be given to that sexual uh purity part of his life that is and that's at the top of the list for paul that's how important it is it's at the top of the list you know you've got to have control self-control you got to have overcome some of these things why would you try to lead the church because you're constantly inundated, I'm getting between three and five porn cases by a month, and sometimes a week. And you're hearing all sorts of, of sexual sin and all sorts of perverted things going on, and uh, and you got to be prayed up and you got to be above reproach yourself. There's so many, so much dirty work in getting into the lives, and I hear what the elders have, like, discuss. In there about sexual sin and some of the stuff, and I turn around and. Most of them are in tears. It's heavy work. It's heavy work. And it means that it's at the top of the list for, for a reason. And, um, and so that we take it serious. We hold each other accountable, I mean, to the extreme. To the extreme, we hold each other accountable. There's always somebody coming in, confessing about temptation or an attitude they have. Always somebody. They're very transparent, very real. And I don't know if you know, but we pray down the entire 740 people, a list, in prayer. Every week, this is not business as usual. Most of our time is shepherding and praying that God would help these people who are broken, who who are dying. You know, this is this is heavy business. Heavy. Not giving to excess, and he's talking about you know drinking and drunkenness. Um, Proverbs twenty verse one talks about that. The person. Doesn't want to be given too much drinking or drunkenness. It's up you have. They think you, you, you take advantage of like in some places. I was helping with a church discipline situation about five years ago when I first got here, and the church took a split. And the pastor was drinking too much. And the pastor was in the bar too much, and uh, and, it, and it crashed and turned and split the church. He wasn't being careful. There wasn't anybody watching over his soul. And we don't let Pastor Brian get that far away from us. Okay? So we, people have to, we take this very serious. Now, it shouldn't be given to too much success. It should be self-discipline. And the one who helps us is Pastor Brody. He's like a machine. I mean, he's got journals and journals and volumes and volumes of journals, 36 years of journals. Fill a whole garage. He journals everything, every day, every meeting, every thought, all of his prayers, He's the only one at three thirty or four o'clock in the morning. I could text him, and he'll text me right back. I mean, he's amazing, and he's very in self control. And they work hard on it in self control, and they, they don't they hold themselves. They're harder on themselves than anybody else, because self control is so important. It's being prudent or temperate, um, and it's it's the broader priorities that they're trying to keep on well organized. Another one is that you know you just not run, randomly run out like a charismatic, just randomly. Oh God, take me and do whatever you want. I mean, there's business to you. Got to have you got to have records for the government. You got to have you know documentation. You have got to organize your sermons. You got to. You, there's a lot of things that have to be organized. And we have ladies here with Debbie and, and Maddie um, and Chris Christy. So we have, these ladies are working in and watching the operation there and helping us. But we're busy with people. We try to do more people work. But the truth is, you got to be well organized, a person has to see, you know, that they're respectable and they can de- take care of crisis and, 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 and chaos. They can work through that. Another one is hospitable. And that word really means to love strangers, to love strangers. We're not talking and making fun of people when we're in the room. We're say, hey, did you see that guy? He has a funny weird haircut. Did you see the guy at the mohawk? And, you know, we don't, we don't make fun of people. We don't do that. They're really careful, very careful about it. But they're very hospitable people as well. And you know some of your been on some of your pastors' homes never, a number of times. They're skilled teachers. They're not just they're not just there trying to express what they think. Let me just tell you one real quick thing about this. Run out of time, aren't we? Man, you talk a lot. I know that. I noticed that. I just noticed it. I just wanted to be transparent. Don't say it, you can say it later. Okay. But, you know, some people think the sermon is something you come up with. Like, if this, you have, that'll preach, that'll preach, don't you? And they think there's something you conjure up when we know that all the work of God is in the Word of God. And I want to know exactly what that text says. And I want to know exactly how God, how God is using our pastor to express that because that's the real work. And he is like a surgeon, like a brain surgeon. In that scripture, you ever see his notes and how he puts his message together? Macarthur said, "If you're not doing 20 to 30 hours of study, you're cheating the people of God." I mean, he hammered him. That's where he got his D men. That's nothing to play with. These guys take their labor over the scripture. They're skilled teachers. Uh, They're not a drunkard, easily pardoned uh, human failure, uh, not quarrelsome. Um, again, when I say easily pardons human failure, I'm saying he gives a lot of grace to people. There's a lot of grace, you know, that people make mistakes. People are human, you know, on top of being the saints. We, use, we try to do corrective measures so they learn. But at the end of the day, we want to love them, and we try to help them. Hey, this is a, this is a learning time. Now let's move on for your family. Let's move on for the church. Let's move on for your marriage. Let's, let's get through this, okay? A lot of uh, grace. Uh, free from the love of money. And MacArthur made a note here, and, some, and Jerry Ritt, uh, Rag in our Grace and Granite said, just practice not having a dollar sign attached to your ministry. That's what Jerry said. So, in other words, I know pastors, i have trying to get people to come and speak in truth and light. I've known most of these guys all my career for 28 years, and and they're they're like, some of them are like, well, I won't come unless there's, how many people? said, so well, we're, you know, up to 300, you know. Yeah, well, let me think about that. And then other people are like, well, how much is it? And what's the honorarium? And, you know, you're going to cover all my expenses? And everything's worried about money. And we're always very generous. I've never worked for churches generous. In fact, uh, when Lou left here and, and, and um, Jim. Jim Neuheiser there, Jim said, I've been in ministry for 40 years I've never seen a church this generous ever. I've never been blessed like this. Even Brad Bigney said it. I mean, Joe, uh, Joel James, he couldn't believe what what the church had raised for him. And he had no clue he didn't ask. I mean, we're a very generous church. But don't make it about money. Don't make it about money. Uh, family leadership, I want to end with this one because this is important. Is that one thing about a pastor that usually sorts a lot of things out, is that he should have be well-managed his family, his own family. And what he means by that, they use the word pistis in Titus, and the word pistis in Greek, most people says faithful, because that's the way we kind of interpret it as faithful. But MacArthur says it means salvation, and that he said if any of his kids, like Mark is the one that's, now he's 60, but if Mark would walk away from the Lord, John MacArthur said he would give up his church. He would step down. I don't believe that. Everybody else who interprets that doesn't interpret it that way. And the purpose of that is that how can you control, how can you know who's going to come to faith in Christ and who isn't? That's the work of God. What he meant by this, faithful, what he meant was that it means that they'll submit, they're submissive, they're not rebellious in the home. They're not rebellious, they'll be submissive in the home. They won't cause a lot of trouble. They care about people. They're just not saved. They haven't come to faith in Christ. So that's the real truth about that. And, uh, and so a lot of people have a lot of big problems in their church. They want all these positions, but they have, they just neglect training the family and neglect the children. And family leadership is a big one. Because what's it say in the saying in Scripture uh, about that? He says, "If you can't manage your own family, how can you what manage the church? Manage the church, Amen." I mean, we can't control our kids who who walk away from the Lord, or not. but in the home, in the home, they're submissive. I mean, not they don't have to be perfectly submissive. I'm saying they're not they're not rebellious to the sense they're causing lots of dissension in the home. But that's where the training for their wives really comes into play, is that you help that and you, Cindy would help me with six boys. She would help me focus on I'm coming working two jobs too, and she's like I want you to. This focus says, here's a problem right here. And then I would zero in on it and bring leadership and authority to that and get that solved quick. And that's what you have to do with your own husbands as well. Before I go, any questions or thoughts up to this point? Yes?
1: Struggle with women where our struggles are very different from men's struggles right like we'll get into conversations we shouldn't get into at times we'll compare ourselves to one another we sometimes have vanity issues am i wrong wouldn't paul then if this for about women he would address those things for women as pastors That's just oh funny. you mean as pastors if as if, well if, if, if paul were saying to Timothy hey and for women here are the qualifications those are things women fall prey to like many of them,
0: like, so you're saying it should include the women's qualifications and the men's qualifications? No.
1: If no. You were saying that women is, oh, yeah, if. Okay, got it. I'm following
0: it. now. We don't qualify as much, I don't think, to the sexual temptation.
1: Like yeah. Overall, I think that, that's pretty. No. Yeah. So I just think that these lend very strongly to men. Yeah. If there was a, an in for women to lead as pastors, Paul would have mentioned here. Do not gossip. Thank you, long,
0: and long 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 remind me—I'll give you the twenty dollars later. For $20. <laughs> Thank you very much, Gina.
1: Yeah, no, I understand. I never, I never
0: really saw that. Well, I mean, what happens is if you when you get the scripture, you'll see that and he talks about this in Corinthians. He makes it very clear. He has a lot. It's it's speckled throughout Scripture. And when, you, when we talked about the Proverbs 31 woman, then we're going to talk about these other things. But primarily women have these issues. They're all sprinkled throughout the scripture with gossip and, you know, and um, manipulating your husband. The biggest one is Genesis, where it's saying you will desire your husband's position and he'll rule over you. That's the number one. So your propensity to want to try to take control or manipulate or be the neck that turns the head is, is going to be the vast, amount, probably most of what you're going to do. And it, Scripture also says that you're the weaker vessel, and that's also emotional as well. So, you know, you may there, you can do a, a deeper study on the Titus 2 woman and get more of those details, and the Titus 2 woman is a great book. But it's in the Scripture. The other thing is we don't go above what the Scripture tells us. So Paul, he outlines these qualifications for men. He also outlines some things for women. And then by divine revelation through special revelation – Proverbs 31 comes up and all these other scriptures. So we, we don't try to speculate or push this beyond what the, what the context of that. So we try to go by exactly what the scripture is. Um, so we don't just say, yeah, you know, we got to throw that in there, too, because that, that's what men are doing. And, hey, they're doing that now in this culture. But we just stick with the scripture for them to specifically say this is a, a character quality to serve the Lord. And women have them. You'll see them. I mean, as you were saying these things, the scriptures were starting to come in my mind. So I knew exactly where they were. This study just wasn't going to target all of this. Um, and so hopefully you're reading the, the book next week, the chapter next week, for you're going to get some of that on next week's chapter on Chapter 7. But uh, that, that would be your homework, by the way, Chapter 7. But thanks for bringing it up. That's, that's important. And when I have other things for you to tell the ladies, I want you to feel free to speak up. That was very, very helpful. Other questions, thoughts? Very good questions. Anybody? I'm sorry. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, to be fair to you. I've, I've wanted to take two um, issues. Um, I was, one, I was going to talk about the spiraling down towards infidelity. I was going to give you six signs I'm going to talk you through. They're on your paper. Bring that back next week. And we're going to start with that, okay? And then the last one is, uh, it's got solutions and everything on there, but the last one is caught in porn. And I'm going to give you eight, or eight to ten things that you need to know when your husband has a porn problem. That you need to know. It's going to be very helpful. Because remember, the two became one. That you're part of the, the solution and you're part of the problem. And your husband, he's the same way. Whatever you're dealing with, that's part of his problem. We expect him to minister to you and wash you with the word. We expect him to be the lead person to help you through these issues. Because the Bible says so. And so I want to bring that out. I want, to, I want to cover some of these things to give in some special attention to men. But you guys got carried away and talked, told a lot of stories tonight. And, and it was painful. Painful to hear it. It was just painful. Okay, any other questions before we close? I'll pick that up next week right there where we're at. And we'll jump right into the church part one in two weeks. 14th of November. Um, and let me just go down here and see if I can show your homework. It's in your paperwork um yeah right there chapter seven um and then answer all the even questions the even numbers and the group discovery questions in your book just the even numbers email me your pay dirt which are some of the major points you learned in this this is accountability because i want you to glean as much as you can from the book because i prefer that you're prepared to teach this to someone to do discipleship that's how you're going to help the church there are young ladies who need you to disciple them because we're, we're, we're at, a, at a, a point of a break point that I've never seen before uh, in ministry or the, the world where, where Christianity is going to be illegal. Your kids are probably going to have to die for their faith. I mean, there's some bad things are going to happen. Okay? So we have to be prepared. You have to be able to teach the younger folks to stand firm in their faith. We can't just play church like we did for years. We can't do it anymore. Just can't. Send it to me, Mark Hager 57 at Gmail, um, and just send at least three brief points. I call that pay dirt that convicted or encouraged you through the study of your reading. Okay? Everybody good? Who wants to pray? Pray us out. Who? Anybody?
1: More, okay. All right. <laughs> Busted. <laughs> Busted. <laughs>
0: Busted. Father, thank you for my sisters and the faith, and these are the soldiers, the hidden power behind the church and their husbands, and uh, thank you for giving them great men, and men even in progress, even in their they're in progress right now, that you're faithful to complete that which you began, Philippians 1.6. So encourage them, help them to be great servants, um, and I pray that you'll give them favor in their homes and with their children, save those who are wayward. May they, um, may they trust you in the, in the very depths of their heart. You know them personally. You are with them personally. And so we give you all the praise and glory for every single thing in Jesus' name. And all said what? Amen. Thank you, guys. We'll see you in two weeks.